This morning's second reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 14. I'm going to read all of the verses from 1 through 14. May God open up to us an understanding of this word. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent, so taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you have a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. So as I said in the children's sermon, I'm sure most of you grew up in families that taught you manners. If not, you learned them the hard way. Bad manners, my grandmother used to say, was a sign of bad training. Bad training was a sign of bad parents. You'll never get invited anywhere if you don't have manners. It was okay if we were eating off TV trays in the den watching a football game, but if we were ever at the table with the family, manners mattered. And at the dining room table, times 10. And if there was a guest over, times 20. We were always reminded beforehand, okay, now sit down only after the women have been seated Carefully spread your napkin in your lap. Put your left hand in your lap when you're eating. What does that do for left-handed people, though, I wonder? <laughs> Follow 
everything we do, if you're confused, never reach for food, but ask politely for it when it is your turn. As my mama would say, please pass the pepper. <laughs> she was from Alabama. Never smack or chew with your mouth open. Wipe your mouth coyly with the carefully folded napkin. And then when you are finished, do not just jump up from the table, but wait for everyone else to finish and then ask if you may be excused. Put the lapkin folded back carefully on the table, your utensils in the center of the plate after you've used the correct ones, and then you may leave, only after you've asked if you can help clean up. Now, I can't speak for the North, but in the South, that's good manners. For in the South, manners are shibboleths. And a shibboleth is that Hebrew word that only those who were Jewish could pronounce. And it was like a tribal uh, word that got you through the door. If you could say shibboleth, you were in. If you couldn't, you were not. The manners in the South are what serve as what get you in the door. They are shibboleths to make sure you're part of the tribe, to show your pedigree and good training, hopefully passed down from generation a generation. Did I say if you didn't have good manners, you wouldn't be invited anywhere? Which kills me why Jesus was ever invited anywhere. Because everything he does in the Gospels is to be ill-mannered. At almost every single meal, Jesus is doing something unheard of, in most cases, completely out of possibility for what manners mean. Didn't his mama teach him? Didn't he know better? Or maybe it was that Jesus just understood the value of sitting at the table as the best way to point out the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of, well, kings. It's Luke who uses these table events the most. He has 11 of them in his gospel. The rest are like two, three scattered about. Starting with Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, which means, of course, the city of bread. He's born where? In a manger, that is a feeding trough for cattle. He begins there and basically almost ends with the road to Emmaus story when Jesus walks along with the two people leaving after the crucifixion, completely disheartened. As a stranger, Jesus walks up and then they invite him to their home where he sits at table, picks up a loaf of bread and breaks it. And then they recognized him. And then in an ill-mannered way, he just got up and left. Never even asked to be excused. He just vanished. Luke, more than any of the, of the gospel writers, understood that sitting at table and sharing the meal was the best way to practice our faith and what the kingdom of God is about. Jesus seemed to enjoy it so much they even called him a glutton and a drunkard. Time after time, you find him eating with the wrong people, the down and out, 
the socially or religiously blacklisted. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. He even even left that harlot woman in to, to wash his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. As he was sitting at table with the Pharisee, unheard of, bad, bad manners. Knowing that the leader would call on him, he was ready with the retort. When the leader was complaining that Jesus hadn't washed his hands before he came to supper, Jesus replied, it's not what's dirty on the outside that matters, but what's dirty on the inside. And then this morning, classically ill-mannered Jesus, by the time he is invited to this Pharisee religious leaders home to eat on the Sabbath. His reputation is well known and they were watching him closely in order to gain evidence for why they will eventually put him down. So Jesus gives them a a, a gourmet three-course meal from the table of the kingdom of heaven. First, he heals a man with a bad foot or some body problem, and and he does it on the Sabbath in the leader's house, and then he questions the leader's Sabbathness, their self-righteousness, and does it in front of everyone. And when he noticed all the guests coming in to sit up at the head table with the big big wigs fighting to get the best seat, uh, excuse me, he said. Um, You know, uh, I'm reminded of a parable. When you go to a wedding banquet and and you walk in and you want to sit at the head table, uh, is that a good thing or not? Because you never know. It may not be where you're supposed to be. And the host will walk up to you and whisper in your ear, I need to move you. That seat is already reserved. And you have to take the walk of shame the humiliation walk back to the very back table. That's where you're seated. Avoid it. Sit at the back table first, and then you might be invited to the front table. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. I've always, I've always wished I was a fly on the wall when the, when the bride and the bride's mother usually are sitting around putting the seating arrangements together uh, for the uh, dinner after the wedding. And, and always, how do you know who goes where? And it's always amusing when you see where they put the preacher. It's usually next to this sort of almost crazy, eccentric uncle who is <laughs> always too religious. And Southern Baptist, and doesn't believe in drinking, and that Jesus didn't drink wine, he turned... He turned 12 big bowls of water into grape juice. (laughs) And I always say, please pass the Cabernet Sauvignon. (laughs) Jesus follows up with those words about where to sit with, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. For Jesus is telling, leave the hubris, the narcissism, and the privilege at the door before you walk into the table.
two courses now. He heals somebody on the Sabbath. He calls the host and the, and the party for seating in the, in the high seats. They're pushing their food around on their plate. And here comes the third course. Turning to the leader of the Pharisees, he scolds him. When you have a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite all your friends and all the hoi polloi in town, all the rich folks. Instead, you do it only because they can reciprocate. When you have a, when you have a kingdom of God table event, you invite those who can't reciprocate. You invite the poor and the last and the least and the lost. Then you will be blessed. And in everything Jesus is doing, mannered or not, what he's doing is revealing the difference between what the table of the kingdom of God looks like versus the table of the kingdom of power. It's about compassion and love and humility. Don't cozy up to the power people just because they can reciprocate. Instead, sit down with those who can't give anything back. In a way, isn't that kind of what Jesus was doing? How timely are his words for us today, I think, in our world, and our country. It seems our whole culture is caught up in where, where, where you're going to find your seat at the table. These days, unfortunately, it's the evangelical church who has cozied up to the halls of political power in hopes of making this a Christian nation. But that's a cost. That's a huge cost. And the cost is that, you see, they may think that using Jesus to influence the halls of power is a good thing, but those in the halls of power can see it a mile away. They're using the evangelical church to influence their own politics. When I read this passage, I remembered a dinner I had with Anita and her colleagues in her job in Atlanta. It was, it was to celebrate the coming marriage of her colleague's wedding, and her fiancé was there. Uh, he was one of the well-heeled people in our country. His family had ownership in two Major League Baseball teams. I won't tell you his name. Coincidentally, they got married in this church. Uh, 2004, I think it was, before this wonderful renovation. Uh, it was at night, and it was certainly gracious of this church to let them have their wedding here. And then the, the huge dinner, of course, following was in the cloister. Who gets in the cloister? That's the only time I've ever been there. And when I'm at dinner, I had this like thing in me, you know. I'm thinking about Jesus. What would Jesus do here? It's an ugly thing because I'm not Jesus. But that Jesus righteousness came into me. And I, and I looked over at, at, his name was Dickie. I, I said, Dickie, um, I understand that President Bush has called you to be the fundraiser for all the people under 40 that support him. He goes, yeah. I said, what, what's Washington like? And I knew deep down I was baiting him. I, I was goading him to say, you know, it's great to be up there with, with President Bush and to see all these rich people and, and, to, and to 
shake hands. It's just wonderful to be in the halls of power. And I'm just sitting there waiting for him. And he says, you know, it's weird. <laughs> the only thing that matters is how high up your seat is. It drives me crazy, he said. It's madness. I can't wait to get back to life. Voila! Here I was, Mr. Self-Righteous, about to call this big wig into, into terms, and I am slammed fat by Jesus sitting in the middle of me in the name of Dickie, showing his humility. You see, that's what happens at the table. The table. We have a table, not an altar. The Anglican and Episcopal and Catholic Church have an altar. The Jewish Church has an altar. An altar is the place that you make a sacrifice. An altar is the, is the piece of furniture that sits usually in the back of the chancel where the priest faces it and usually in Latin says the words in Latin that sound like hocus pocus, which in fact is exactly where the term comes from. It seems like sleight of hand as the priest sits in the back and turns the bread and, and, and the wine or grape juice into the body of Christ and, and then brings that out from the altar and serves you, the congregation, sitting out there in the nave. You're not up here. This is sacred. You're down there. That's that's pedestrian. But Luther comes along and hammers the door down with 95 Thesis to call all that corruption into question, especially since the church for 300 years only opened its door for 300 years after Jesus died. It opened its door to all those in need and hungry, regardless of their status. And then they get married to politics with Constantine, and from then on it was all about who got the high seats. And then in the Middle Ages, the church marries itself even more to the emperor. You couldn't tell the difference between the pope and the emperor. Then it was all one big happy gathering of seats, and the people, they're pedestrian. And the church would decide who was in and who was out. The church would tell you who can be in communion, and if you were not, you were excommunicated, and you were no longer in community at all. Too bad. Sayonara. And the Reformed people come along and say, we want access to the table. And so what they did was they took that altar and they brought it down as the table and they put it on the floor. On the floor, not up here in the chancel, on the floor. And they, and they did it because it was so symbolic of what it means that now on the floor we are all gathered together on the same level together at this table. I love, I love it when we do intinction and, and we're all down on the floor and you walk up and, and, and you're taking of the, the bread and, the, and the, the juice and there we are on the same level. There's no hierarchy. You're, we're all priests to each other. It's called the priesthood of all believers. We're all the same. 
in the eyes of God and the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what the kingdom of God is going to be like. We will all find our seats, and there will be no hierarchy, but we will all be at the same humongous, gigantic, ginormous kingdom of God table, sharing food together with Jesus right in the middle of it. People who serve at the manor house tell me it happens all the time. Granted, it's hard. Yes, I know. But every now and then, Jesus just shows up. Some act of grace or hospitality in service. Where you least expected, right there in the middle of the manor house, where all God's people gather, rich or poor. You may have already heard, word travels fast around here, but at our last worship and music committee meeting, we talked about this table and why it's in the chancel. And it turns out that during the renovation, the architect happened to be prone to Episcopalian and Anglican liturgy, which means that he likes the table up here rather than on the floor. And I suggested, as did Rhonda and some others, that maybe we ought to take a, talk about bringing the table down to the floor. Well, it's big. It's real big. <laughs> it's huge. And it costs a lot of money. How would we do it? Rhonda had a measuring tape out. We were measuring blah, 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 blah. And it hadn't been resolved yet. But one thing I would like to say, and I don't have a dog in this hunt. Look, I'm your interim. <laughs> My job is to raise all the conflict so you can deal with it now <laughs> so that when your pastor comes, it's all been taken care of. And I know this will be a conflicted issue about bringing the table down to the floor, but it's worth talking about. And if this table's too big, let's just repurpose it back in that fellowship room right there and put the donuts and other food on it and, and bring the old table back. It'll fit perfectly. Just an idea. You know what? I changed my mind. We really don't want to do that because if we bring that table down to the floor, oh my gosh, what might happen? Hmm. Let's just keep it up here safe and sound, not too close. Just something to think about. Amen. <laughs>